It is the Everything is Marketing podcast. My name is Eric Hulker, and you can get a hold of me anytime you'd like to at Polymath and Vine on Twitter or via email. It's eric at mlive.com. Today, it is the audio of the Jeff Barrett keynote he did in Grand Rapids talking about self-awareness and branding yourself, branding your personal brand in 2016. So without further ado, it's Jeff Barrett on the Everything is Marketing podcast. Marketers ruin everything. Welcome to the Everything is Marketing podcast. What I don't want to do is to pretend this is show number one. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. So self-awareness. Okay. I'll get into more topics in a second, but that's actually an interesting thing. Two things I want to talk about on on that, in, in understanding your personal brand is, if you go into social media and you go into your branding, you're going to want to figure out some kind of plan first, right? And if you've already started, that's fine, but having some kind of unique branding or plan to what you're doing is important, and that comes into self-awareness, right? You need to know what's the one thing that you do. Not You don't want to be everything to everyone at all times. What is the one thing that really makes you unique, and how do you get yourself out there? Because, and here's the importance of it. So, when you used to be able to apply for jobs, what was it, you, you wrote a letter, you sent in a resume, right? Now, you can fill out a thousand job applications in one day without wearing pants, right? That's, that's the, the beauty of social media. But it's become easier, right? So now it's become easier for everybody. Social media, the same thing. You have more opportunities than ever to get yourself noticed, but you have more competition than ever to get yourself noticed. So what does that happen? It means that you have to be a little bit more of an extrovert online. That's kind of the point of everything I do, is I'm not generally an extrovert. I'm not the most talkative person ever, but I've just kind of realized and noticed this is what you have to do to kind of be successful. So what that does is, so if you know then that you have to be more out there when you're talking and, and getting yourself out there, so then that, that dictates your strategy, right? So then you have to focus on this one thing that you really do well. And for me, and it has to naturally fit with your comfort zone, right? So for me, I wanted to be a little more humorous in what I did, but I looked at the space I was in, and you look at a lot of the people who talk in social media, and by the way, there's 280,000 people who self-identify themselves as a social media guru. That's a lot of people. How the hell do you like, get yourself differentiated from that group, right? Well, then you have to do different things, right? And I looked in the space, and a lot of it was it was selling. It was, okay, I'm going to help you do this, and I'm going to help you build this page, and I'm going to help you do this. And I, I cared very little about the tools. What I cared about was how do you develop relationships? How do you build a bigger network? Because eventually, perception becomes reality. Your network becomes your resume. Your network becomes all these things. So it's a lot of what I focused on. But if you're being self-aware again, you're saying to yourself, okay, what is the one thing that I really do well? So for me, it was I was a great connector of thoughts. I could get in there and I could, I could do really timely content. So I focused on what the top 10 trending hashtags were um, on multiple platforms and always made sure I had some kind of comment to get into those. And that was really helpful in my branding, but it was also, it was, is natural to me. The, the other thing about being self-aware is whatever your strategy is from a personal standpoint, and I'll get to brand stuff too in a second, but from a personal standpoint, it has to fit 
at the core of what you're doing. And if what you're doing doesn't, you're going to stop doing it at some point. Because when times get tough, you revert back to who you really are, what you really want to be doing, right? So if you, you know, if you're naturally funny or if you naturally want to do this, you know, whatever way you want to do it, you have to stick to that. You have to do something that you want to be consistent with because the biggest key to social media is consistency. It's being able to do the same thing over and over again so people come and expect it. It's not dissimilar from network programming where you constantly know the show's going to be on at 8 p.m. You're probably going to keep tuning in. That's a weird example to use when we all just binge watch Netflix, right? Because I mentioned earlier that I you know, might lose my voice because I was yelling at Making Murderer, but that's really the, that's really the genesis of it. Um, but understanding your audience, so being self-aware, I looked at my audience and I looked at a lot of people who were very serious, um, who were doing white papers, who were doing um, a lot of kind of standard stuff. They're doing webinars, and I looked at it and went, okay, I'm going to fly in the opposite direction. And when I work with clients, that's the exact same thing. If you have, if you work with a car company and every car company is serious, fly in the opposite direction. That's why there's a space for everybody. And so think of yourself as you'd be marketing a brand in the sense that you want to be able to kind of differentiate. And that's a very big key. Differentiate and figure out what you can do consistently to kind of program and keep people buying in. Um, that is, I've used that topic to kind of go around and around with it, obviously, but if you understand that, and then you get into the core of things, yes, farm out what you don't really do well because your clients, now if we get to a client side, so I've gone on the personal side, if we get to a client side, if, when I first started, if I had done everything all at once, I'd be going up against Edelman or Shandwick, um, you know, really large companies with 500 million booking. You're gonna tell me that a 27-year-old is gonna be able to go in there and outdo the business of them? No, it's never going to happen. So what I did, much like you'd see with a social company where you had Facebook and you had Twitter, you can't build another one right now. They're, they're too far entrenched, right? It's the same thing I've felt with, with competitions. There's no way I was going to do that. So you become Instagram, you become Vine, you become Snapchat. You do one thing really, really well, and then you become more collaborative. And here's the other thing about self-awareness in, in 2016 now. You have to be more collaborative in your strategy, especially if you're being self-aware like that. If you're not trying to do everything, you're not trying to do the GE model, you have to look at those firms not as competition, but as collaborators. So I work with Leverchenwick, I work with these other companies on on ideas, and they'll farm me out to do brand ambassador work, they'll farm me out to do digital stuff. Um, so I get to work on bigger projects with them, but they also get to provide value. And that's the biggest thing right now to me in, in 2016 and how we evolved is we now are all pretty comfortable being online and we're pretty comfortable networking. But it's now how well do you connect dots? How well do you get you know people to the table? And that's really the most important thing to me about social media. It's not. I don't care how many likes you get, retweets you get, how many your stats. At the end of the day, have you moved the ball forward? Have you done something that pushes what you're trying to do or your company trying to do forward? Every day, do you make a contact? Do you do something? And that's kind of the whole point of networking. You mentioned personal branding, right? I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, I didn't just wake up one day and I got to write for the Washington Times or Mashable. There's a, there's a little bit of a process to it, and this is kind of the part I want to share when it gets into personal branding, is that this is really easy to duplicate, and um, I probably shouldn't even be telling you, to be honest with you, because now I'm just going to create like another 75 people who can do the exact same thing that I can do. But it, it's fine, it's, but it's, it's out there. 
So what I did in the process is I started writing for um, a couple really small blogs, but I didn't create my own blog. Because I thought about it this way. If you've got, if, when I first started on Twitter like four years ago, I had 100 followers. If I put out a blog to 100 followers, how many people are gonna read it? One, two? Three, maybe. My mom would be at least two of the views. She'd just keep clicking. She's like, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. While she's watching the view. <laughs> but, so I started writing for these blogs, but these well-known blogs. I went out to um, Yuri Kallis and um, Gary Vaynerchuk and Brent Solis and a lot of these people, and I said, look, you're getting paid for views. I like to write, I've got free content for you, you wanna throw it up there and see what happens? And they're like, okay. Because think about it, they're getting, they're getting paid off, what's the worst thing that can happen? So, I mean, you obviously vet my content and make sure I'm not talking about something crazy. Um, and then I got it out there. Got a few of those out there that became the most read thing they've had on their blog in, in weeks. And what it allowed me to do is then, there was a place called Agency Post. Really small outfit, HubSpot eventually bought them. And so I was one of the first people to post on there. And I got a few articles on that, and that kind of further validated. But again, people will let you put free content out there because why not? You're giving them free content? This isn't a bad strategy. Um, years ago, I might have looked and been like, oh, I might want to try and get paid to write these things. And then I just thought, well, in the long game, actually writing this content for free isn't a bad idea. So then I got onto Agency Post and had some really well um, received articles there, so then I got a call from the Washington Times that said, hey, we've seen that you got a lot of views, do you want to come over here and try something? So I tried it out. Again, same process, wrote for them for a while, then I used that to get to Mashable, and then I stopped doing it for a little bit just because I had other focuses and I was really focused on the business side. And you, I mean, you get, you get this, you get stuck in the day-to-day -day and then eventually you stop doing the thing that you're doing for free because you're like, oh, you know, I gotta make the money. Um, <laughs> but. When I got back into it, so then I started, I was writing for Yahoo, I was writing for Fox Business. I was just trying to get as many of them out there so that at, at some point, I could kind of write for even bigger bigger publications. Um, probably in the next two months, you'll see me writing for HuffPo and Forbes and Entrepreneur and a few other places. And it's just the idea of getting more and more content out there. But from a personal branding strategy, every time I was able to do that, I was able to talk about something I wanted to do, but also reinforce that I was smart at something and that I, I had good ideas and that it wasn't me saying I had good ideas, but those ideas were being reinforced by some other place. And I think that's incredibly valuable in your strategy is do you have somebody else or some other place saying, you know, or saying good things about you or validating what you're doing? Because that's incredibly critical because we get back to there's 280,000 people who self-identify as a social media guru. There's how many burger places in, in America say they have the best burger, right? But we have one right here, right? But why do we think it's the best burger in America? Because GQ said it's the best burger in America, right? That's a validation. We feel a little bit more comfortable about that. If it just said best burgers ever, we go, oh, okay, because we're American. And this is a weird ideal because internationally this doesn't play as well. Because when, they, when you say best burger, they look at you and they go, well, how do you know this? Is it really the best burger? And we just, we're kind of conditioned, right, to think every place is going to say they have the best pizza, the best burger. If you listen to any telecom commercial, it's always like, we've got the best network. We've got the best network. Somebody does not have the best network. I'm telling you right now, somebody does not have the best network, and it's probably T-Mobile. 
<laughs> I've actually never, uh, I never tried T-Mobile, but that's really cool. Um, but that's that's where that's where we are. So, in a roundabout way, that's um, that's what I think is important about getting other people to validate what you're doing, rather than having you continually keep telling people because they're, that's only going to get you so far. That's only going to get people so excited about that. They need to see that validation. But I'm telling you, and that's the other thing too, you get people that come up on these speeches and they'll say, these are your keys to success. And then they don't give you the actual plan of success. They're just like, step one, do this thing. And then they're like, step three, profit. And you're like, well, what's step two? You did not give me step two. But that's, the, that's really the step two is, You've got these abilities to get free content out there. There's going to be somebody that'll let you do it. I don't care if you have 50 followers on social media or you have no network at all. You can still get somewhere with that and keep building it out that way. And that's the other thing, too, with social media is, okay, uh, here's a common, common question I get. And tell me if you've ever heard this one. I have a small following on social media. How do we get more people to notice us? Is that ever... It's kind of a common, like it's kind of the common social media catch point too, right? So some people will go up to you and say, oh, you just have to make better content. Right, but again, if you have 100 followers, that 100 followers is only going to get you so far. My biggest strategy on that is, and this is, I mean, probably the biggest key to why I have X amount of Twitter followers. And, you know, X amount of things on everywhere and why I get random people to watch a fine. Um, but the whole point is that if you have 100 followers, you need to find somebody else with a larger following to post that content. If you, so the, the, the key to it is, can you get a million followers to be posting your content? Think about it that way. So that means you have to connect with a couple people who have 100,000 followers. Or you have to have people here and here and here. But the whole point is that every time you're putting something out there, you should be thinking about how wide of a net, how wide of a network you can create with that. So it doesn't have to be your own network. And then you obviously will build up your network that way. That's a big part of what I did is I kept connecting higher up the ladder with more people, with more people who had bigger followings. And if you look in the metrics of, um, of Forbes Top 50, it's measured not by the following you have, but it's measured by the followers of your followers. So meaning how, how wide does that net reach? Um, that's a big key. And that's the, the one thing that I don't think it's talked about enough in social media is that it's not a bad thing if you don't have a big network. You can still make a big reach. You just have to find and motivate other people to share your content. And so, you know, in my case, if that's a blog, obviously the motivation there is that they've got, you know, a, a need to get more content out there, to get views, whatever the case may be. But find that motivation. So in personal branding, find, find the motivation to get somebody else to want to share your content and then be able to provide value back for them. Because the other thing is, I'm sure everybody gets an email once in a while and somebody asks you for something, but they kind of make an ask out of themselves because, you know, um, <laughs> but, but, the, but that's the thing, but they do it. And what they'll do is they'll just, does, does anybody like if say yes, if you do, but does anybody like it when somebody sends you an email and it's just them asking for something and they've never said anything else? Right. Okay. It's terrible. And we probably all made somewhat close to that mistake in our lives, but it's not going to work. You have to somehow create some kind of value. So whenever I'm trying to work with somebody, I'm trying to say, okay, here are the outlets I have to help you know, get you out there. Here are the places I can you know, send you here. Here's a contact here. Um, if I know in the specific industry, if I know a, a really good contact that I think they might want to have, 
I send them there. So I start the relationship with, here's how I can help you. And then I roll into, okay, and this is maybe how you can help me. But that's how, how we work in this kind of shared organic content economy is that you have to find collaborators somewhere to get your content out there. It's, um, it's incredibly uncomplicated, but it's something that we don't always think to do immediately. Um, so that's kind of a, a big, big key to personal branding. If we get back into content and kind of the frequency of content, this is a really kind of important thing to me. Every channel is a little bit different. I think on Twitter you can do it as much as you want because it just allows that. It's a kind of one-stop, you know, every five minutes it refreshes and it changes. Uh, frequency on Facebook and LinkedIn is generally, what are you comfortable doing? Uh, what, and you'll feel out your audience on what they're comfortable. I mean, I have general rules on Facebook, maybe three or four times a day, max. LinkedIn, maybe it's once a day, max. Because you can wear people out on stuff. Um, generally speaking, on Instagram, if you've got um, an account that you know is Facebook-based or you've got a pretty consistent kind of track of what you do, uh, you can push out a lot of content. But it, I'd still stay to that content because if you post three things in a row that it kind of like gets into somebody's news feed and then they're like, oh, you're on vacation. So that, that'll happen. You know, somebody's like, oh, we're, we're visiting the sites and then they post like 17 things in a row on your Instagram feed and then you have to keep kind of running through that. So that's like, that's a, that's a thing you want to avoid. But generally speaking, it's really what your audience can kind of handle and then you kind of feel it out. But um, I, I really think there's no, there's no guideline to Twitter. But then I get into... Um, if you're talking about frequency, then I, I like to do this on content. It used to be, so if I, 10 years ago, I'd work on content for companies and we'd spend six weeks putting it together. We'd do this big campaign. We'd get all over the place with it, right? And we'd get really excited about it. And then we'd come out with it and we'd, you know, we'd do well most of the time. Maybe we'd, we'd hit or miss, but we'd, you know, spend a lot of time. I don't think you can do that anymore. I really, I really challenge my clients that I don't want you to be creating something that's six weeks in advance in nature because I don't know what the client's gonna be. I think it's way more important to create content in advance. And you can create content in advance knowing, I know on Twitter um, there's a Monday motivation that's gonna trend. I know that there's certain things that are going to trend. I know there's things on Instagram. There's consistent things that will trend a lot of the time. But then also attaching yourself to the current conversation. I'd much rather create content that I can somehow assimilate into the conversations happening in those five minutes, then I would try and hope I hit the mark in something that I've created for six weeks. There's, a, there's obviously a place still for long form content, but, and you can create long form content, but no, okay, obviously, you know, St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Day, March Madness, there's things that you know will always pop up. You know that somebody's going to hate winter. You always know somebody's going to hate winter. So you can say, around this time, I'm obviously creating content that will probably be around that, uh, depending on the brand and depending on who we're working with. You know certain things are going to pop up, but you can't plan for everything. So having the ability to create your content in five or 10 minutes, rather than five or 10 days, is the most critical thing you can be doing. It's probably what's helped me get to where I am with my clients, it's helped me get to where I am, certainly on a personal branding standpoint, because the one big thing I constantly do is I utilize top 10 trending hashtags, always. Um, obviously there's ones you avoid. If there's any 
Um, if they have a very specific point, obviously I'm not going to get in there. If they're controversial, I'm not going to get in there. You have a line, you don't cross it. But if something is kind of universal and you can get in there and you know where the conversation is, it's really, it's this simple. Where is the conversation? Get yourself into that conversation. It's probably the best way I can put it. That's the biggest key on, on social media. I don't, um, I don't want to post something and then hope somebody will find it. I want to post it and know they will find it. And know it will be in the exact right spot. Um, that's a big key. So creative strategy, just on a client level, how do I kind of go through that process with them? It's a lot of listening, it's a lot of asking questions. I ask way too many questions when I'm in a meeting with somebody. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to feel out, okay, who are your competitors? What is the general landscape? Because I'm not so concerned at the beginning with a client on what you do. I'm concerned with what else is out there and how do I position you? Because I might have, I was funny, I was talking to a contractor a couple days ago, and um, Jake Canfield, and he was talking, and he's like, I've got a waiting list of a month. He's like, he's going into a new office, he's, he's talking about stuff, he's got a waiting list of a month, right? Well, then why would I drive, that tells me something immediately, I'm like, well, I don't need to drive you new clients, right? I need to drive people to different things that you're doing or different products you have, but you ask those questions, and you start figuring out, okay, this is what you really at the core need to do, and then I can start thinking around that. And then I start connecting the dots and going, okay, well, what are the other channels, outlets, places I can go with this? Where can I kind of find um, an expanse of your network? That's a big key. And then from there, you come up with how do you create that, that one big sexy hook that gets people excited about that content. And that's really the very simple formula of how I, I work. I ask a lot of questions, I figure out how to differentiate, I build out, um, I build out and expand your network, and then I, I find the, the right outlets and ways to get that content out there. Um, I'm actually probably 90% concerned with the outlet and 10% concerned with the content, and five years ago it's probably the exact reverse, but I just think that how you get something out there really does dictate the success. Um, if you've got a very large megaphone, even if your content isn't as good, generally speaking, it's probably gonna win out on somebody's good content that only 10 people saw. There's, there's always, um, you know, there's anomalies, there's aberrations to that, but generally speaking, that's, that's kind of how it goes. And, you know, I, I, um, I think social needs to be a bigger part, and we've already started seeing this, but you, I, I wrote in 2014 that currently at that time, 25% of, of a budget for a company was digital, and then by 2017, that budget might shift to 75%. I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing a lot more increases in digital because you can track it, you can do your analytics, you're not hoping for something, but then when you start hearing me talk about this, the ability to insert yourself in the conversation and create faster, quicker, more adaptable content it just seems to make sense. So you're, you're trying to kind of diversify your content, try a few different angles and see what works rather than just trying to put all your eggs in one basket. I want you to know, like when you come into this room and, and you're listening to me talk, the biggest takeaway is this, is that you can create anything from here that can be national, international. Um, it's doable, it's incredibly doable. I'm living proof that it's doable. So then you just have to start thinking about how do you expand the network? How do you get things out there? How do you Kind of uh, you know go about that strategy. If you get into the organic content space, 
that's kind of the sweet spot that I've been working in. Is you've got these Instagrammers, you've got these buyers, and they don't know exactly what to charge. You get a person like, oh, how many people have heard of Tyler Oakley? All right. But Tyler does a really good job of branding himself on YouTube. And um, I met him at the Shorty Awards. He's a really, the interesting thing is he's, a, he's exactly how he is online, is exactly how he is in person. And that's really, really awesome. You don't always see that. Um, kind of generally speaking, you do. I'd say I'm just as quirky in real life as I am online. But Tyler will do campaigns for Chevy. He'll do things. He uh, appeared on Catfish as a, a guest host of Catfish for, for those people that binge watch it like I do. But um, what's interesting is Tyler now is getting tips. So Tyler's at the top echelon of that. So Tyler gets cap, he gets brought in by these big companies and then they go, okay, we're gonna put you in a TV commercial. Here's the interesting thing about that. If you have a digital superstar um, and millennials and, pre, and everybody below 25, they trust people online way more than they trust people on television or a conventional celebrity. So if you start looking at these statistics and start reading uh, consumer psychology, which is probably my biggest focus when I read every day, to understand you know where are these trends going, and I don't care like that you you know that hipsters are dead or there's this new traditionalist or all these things that Mashable posts about that. I don't care. That's a fun article and people are going to read it, but that doesn't help me sell or help me you know with my clients. What's interesting about it is you get into uh, these. These YouTube celebrities, these Viners, and you know, YouTube has created a maker studio, Snapchat's partnered with WPP. They've created their own studios to kind of utilize this because they're understanding that these content creators out there are, you know, able to bring people to the table. They're able to, you know, drive product and they're cost effective. <coughs> so everybody's kind of figuring that's the new frontier. That's a big thing that I'm focusing on 2016 and 2017. So I work with Cyber who's the biggest Snapchatter and her network and, and build that out. And I don't use Snapchat that much on my own. I don't really care about it, but I understand that it you know, really works well for a certain demographic, so we're getting out there. But again, back to Tyler. Tyler gets put into a TV commercial. His audience is digital. It somewhat misses the mark. And I see this happen a few times because now we're starting to see, okay, now like somebody gets in a focus group and they see that 25-year-old or you know, 16-year-old and they go, oh, we need to get this uh, YouTube gamer. We need to get this person off of Twitch because um, the average male below the age of 24 spends at least 23 hours a week watching people playing video games. Not playing video games, watching people play video games. And this is that moment when I start going, oh. <laughs> I got old. And I don't know when it happened, but I was like, I, I, would rather, I would rather play the video game. But then I'm like, okay. I, but I understand it. Um, and the guys that sold Twitch sold for 950 million. So, it's a pretty big business. But you need to put these people on the native channels that they have. Leverage their actual existing channels. We don't need to keep working in the model where we say, all right, well, you know, you've made it. Now here's your here's your 30 second uh, infomercial where you're selling me, you know, the Slap Chop or the, the ShamWow or the Scrub Daddy. Like, that's not the point. Like, the other thing is we haven't changed how we attract customers, because you compared it to CPMCPC, right? right? We're not changing how we're trying to attract customers or the things that work. We're just evolving the way we kind of deliver that content. That's really the only thing that's changed. So I don't, I don't think you need to creatively reinvent the wheel on your content. You just need to think about the channels in which you're reaching people, because those have drastically changed. That's, that's interesting. You read that some groups trust that level more, well, then you allocate more over there. And the interesting thing about organic content is, so I, I'm a little fuzzy on banner ad. 
um, conversion rate, but I know the direct mail conversion rate, but generally speaking, it's, it's pretty low, right? Organic content is a 73% conversion rate. That's insanity. That means 73% of the people that view content from a social influencer will be inclined to purchase if they've made that recommendation. That's insanity in those numbers because I know working with direct mail or banner ads would be 5%, maybe lower. Um, that's not a great click-through rate. So, but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. You're making a peer-to-peer -peer recommendation. And in three years, that will probably be non-existent because people will catch on to that. As I'm saying it, and you start getting behind the veil of it, you start looking at it, you're like, well, that sucks. You mean every person I follow on social media is eventually going to be telling me that I should buy something? It might happen. It might not. Um, or it might just be a suggestion. But that is kind of, kind of where we're heading. And there's certain... The other thing is those pages that we tend to, you know, tend to use, those are people that are generally promoters anyway, right? Those, there's personal accounts and there's promoter accounts. But people expect a promoter account and they, they're, not, you know, they're not avoiding it. Um, and you want to work, from an organic content standpoint, you want to work, here's another like layer to that, you want to work with somebody that kind of has already done that a little bit to some extent because if you try and utilize a social influencer who hasn't been a brand ambassador, who hasn't done that, you don't know what the percent rate will be when they actually do that um, because they might get 100,000 views on their content, but if they go into promoting something, What's the drop-off? I've seen drop-offs of, of half sometimes. So you want to kind of be aware of that. That's kind of the, because I can talk about how amazing sexy organic content is, but that is the thing that you have to kind of worry about because if your posts get a, a thousand here, but they get 40 here because people are you know reticent of your, your pitching, that's kind of a balance you, you have. So that's why you kind of work with the accounts that uh, do that the most. But that's the interesting sweet spot in you. You see a lot of brands right now. So you see like a, um, a Weber Shandwick or ones that I work with where they will have a kind of a roster of influencers, but it's a really back and forth conversation. There's a few other places out there where they'll talk to you about it and they'll say, okay, um, you know, submit us a request for proposal. And, and I work on a little bit on the, the brand influence side. So I, I get this. So somebody will come to me and they'll say, hey, we'll pay you X amount to talk about this. And I, I never do it, but I consider it sometimes. But it, I never do it because it's a long process. It takes a couple weeks. And again, we're missing the mark there because content doesn't allow you to take a couple weeks. Content needs you to do this in 10, 15 minutes. Content needs you to you know, attach on something. I think the biggest way you make something quote unquote viral, which I've, I've come to actually accept that term more and more because I used to get mad at it because I used to think people were just like, anytime you made that, oh, you got five million YouTube views? Oh, that was an accident. Like, no, that is a very specific thing where you talk to Mashable, you talk to Guardian, you talk to all these places, you get them to post the content all at the same time. Because there's another thing, too, about if you're utilizing a network, and I know I'm going a little roundabout here, but this is really key. If you're utilizing a network to post your stuff out, you want them to kind of do that in a tight window. Not all at the same moment, but a tight, like, 10, 15-hour window. Because if you see, I mean, this is kind of perception, right? If you see 40 people all with some influence all posting about the same thing, you automatically think it's kind of a big deal, right? I mean, the only reason I started watching Making a Murderer is because I saw everybody on my Facebook feed going, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm so mad at these people. And I'm like, I'm not going to get mad at this. And then I just like wake up in a dead sweat in the middle of the night going, oh, Wisconsin, what are you doing? That's, um, 
but that's what, but that's, you know, we look at our news feeds, we see this stuff. So if you can flood that with influencers, I remember in 2010, the Washington Post created a group of 20 people that they deemed social influencers. And they said, we will create this kind of group that will get content out there. And it worked. And the interesting thing is that hasn't changed in six years. It's that if you have the right people posting your content at the right time, it will go as far as you want it to go. It's just as far as you want to expand that network. So again, the biggest challenge is find the bigger network rather than finding the better content. Because I think the one sounds way easier than the other. And I mean, point is how I've gotten to where I've gotten is I've just built up a larger network. So now it becomes very easy for me to just leverage that network. Hopefully I've kind of talked about enough things that will try and get you thinking about something through the day. That's my goal is I want you to kind of start thinking differently. Again, thank you for having me. I hope this was fun. I hope it was informative. For all the visual learners out there, I apologize that I had no slides. That is intentional, even though it looks unprepared, but I think it's good to kind of have a conversation and, and, and get, get it this way. I've just kind of learned over time giving speeches that it's a little more fun that way. And thank you again.